Welcome to Here and Now with Janan Shahin. You are listening to the news from communities of Kingston on CFRC 101.9 FM. We bring you voices not likely to be heard anywhere but on your campus radio every week. Here and Now, your weekly community news program is starting with the acknowledgement of territory. CFRC, as Queen's campus radio station since 1922, is situated on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. To acknowledge this traditional territory is to recognize its longer history, one predating the establishment of the earliest European colonies. It is also to acknowledge this territory's significance for the indigenous peoples who lived and continue to live upon it, people whose practices and spiritualities were tied to the land and continue to develop in relationship to the territory and its other inhabitants today. The Kingston indigenous community continues to reflect the area's Anishinaabeg and Haudenosaunee roots. There is also a significant Metis community and there are first peoples from other nations across Turtle Island present here today. After this acknowledgement, the first piece of news in this week's Here and Now is a news of solidarity against the violent and horrifying act that targeted the indigenous two-separate non-binary homosexual and transgender communities in Shown Hall of Residence on October the 10th. This cowardly act has been condemned not only by the indigenous communities and their allies on campus, but the indigenous communities on the territory of Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee and their allies broadly. On October the 18th, Queen's Four Directions Indigenous Centre, the home for Indigenous students and a site of information and support for the broader Queen's community, hosted and guided an action of solidarity attended by the diverse communities in Kingston. The overall message that resonated throughout the march was straightforward and powerful, not today colonizers. In the same separate, the unity of the community in its diversity was celebrated by several speakers in the event. From the intersection of the campus and the community, now we are moving towards the labor community in Kingston. Commissioners who provide security services for the Canadian Forces Base in Kingston have been fighting for five paid six-day leave, which they have none now, and a $100 boot uniform allowance since June the 24th. The striking workers who are responsible for security at CFP Kingston, Royal Military College and Fort Frontenac are represented by PSAC DCL 818. Most of them are older veterans who lose a day's pay when they are sick. The union still holds pickets at Royal Military College and at various gates at CFP Kingston. Canadian Corps of Commissioners have 15 divisions across Canada and Michael Void, the CEO of the Canadian Corps, in a letter he sent to the public in July, stated that each division has a different collective bargain. He considers two paid six-day leave at the maximum that the company afford. PSAC 818 employees, on the other hand, point to the Ottawa division where commissioners are granted with six six-day leave as part of their collective agreement. So, PSAC 818 members are continuing their strike and holding picket lines every weekday. They are asking the company to return to a table for a fair bargaining. 
In addition to the commissioners at the Canadian Forces Base, 83 cleaners employed by GDI at the Petawawa Base have been on strike since, since July 24th. Cleaning workers are on strike because they say their company GDI is demanding a number of concessions, including health and safety provisions, benefits and staffing levels. Cleaners are picketing at the Ottawa headquarters. Iran now also has some education-related labor needs from the Kingston community. QP 1480 and 1479, local education workers who are a part of 55,000 employees, averted a strike, reaching a tentative agreement at the 11th hour. Ontario-wide bargaining campaign opposing cuts to classroom services and rollbacks to sick days narrowly won most of their demands. Other education workers in ETFO and OSSTF will be taking strike votes in the coming weeks. Stay tuned to here and now to keep updated. From Labour News, we are now directing our attention to the responses to the global climate crisis at the local level. Extinction Rebellion, a grassroots initiative that tries to organize resistance to climate change across many countries, including UK and Canada, has a Kingston branch. Here and now attended their induction training session and talked with the organizers, trainers and the activists about Extinction Rebellion in Kingston. Extinction Rebellion Kingston says that under our current system, we are headed for disaster. Catastrophic climate change will kill millions, cause food collapse and render many more homeless. Mass extinction of wild species will lead to ecological collapse. Destruction of natural habitats will lead to genocide of indigenous peoples and the loss of our planet's life support system. It is not too late to change course. A better future is possible, they say. But governments are consistently failing to take the urgent and decisive action that will save us, they argue. If the system will not change, then we must change the system. In solidarity with Extinction Rebellion in UK, Extinction Rebellion Canada has issued the following demands. They urge the government to tell the truth how deadly our situation is, and the government reverse all policies not in alignment with that position and must work alongside the media to communicate the urgency for change, including what individuals, communities and businesses need to do. Secondly, the activist group demand the government act now, enacting legally binding policies to reduce carbon emissions in Canada to net zero by 2025 and take further action to remove the excess of atmospheric greenhouse gases. The government must cooperate internationally, they say, so that the global economy runs on no more than half a planet's worth of resources per year. They also find creation of a citizens' assembly in charge of deciding the measures needed to reach goals and guarantee a just and fair transition essential to their project. Kingston and regional activists and supporters are a part of this international rebellion. The group organized a die-in on Saturday, October the 19th at the Market Square Fountain at 10 a.m., an event attended by around 15 activists. Related with the climate crisis and what Kingston municipality can do to address it, 
the Working Group on Climate Action, which was formed on June the 18th by the City Council, presented their report to the City of Kingston on October the 15th. Their report reiterates some important action points that the city should consider. The Working Group aims to create a conversation with the major actors in the City of Kingston to reduce greenhouse gases and to build a more resilient Kingston. To this end, they challenge businesses, community organizations and individuals to identify concrete, low-cost and immediate initiatives to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in industrial, commercial and institutional sectors. Among the concrete recommendations they have, a Transpass program for employers and being more strategic with heating and cooling of the buildings stand out. Now, here and now is turning towards the communities in Kingston that advocate for reproductive health care. Kingston Coalition for Reproductive Justice is a working group which was formed under Ontario Public Interest Research Group, OPERC. They held a demonstration on Sunday, October the 6th from 1.45 to 3 p.m. on King Citrine between Barry Street and Lower University Avenue. Their stated objective is to get louder for reproductive health care. Their mandate is to collectively fight for reproductive justice for all people. They also state that they are inspired by Sister Song's definition of reproductive justice as the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. The working group supports all initiatives and efforts that contribute to analyzing power systems, addressing intersectional oppressions, and centering the most marginalized in the struggle for reproductive justice. For the Kingston Weekly Community News Program, in the studio we have Aicha Tomac, one of the members of the Kingston Coalition for Reproductive Justice, a group formed under Ontario Public Interest Research Group. Welcome, Aicha. Uh, thanks, Jana, for having me. Uh, Aicha, can you briefly tell us about the initiative and uh, when it was formed? Uh, so Kingston Coalition for Reproductive Justice was formed as a working group under Upper Kingston around two, three years ago, two years ago, I would say. But Kingston has a quite vibrant reproductive uh, justice allies and movement, I would say. So folks came together two years ago to form a more of a formal collective, I would say. And Upper kind of, uh, as always, you know, supported new, new initiatives around issues of social justice and reproductive justice is one of the most significant issues of our time i would say for social justice yeah oh, tying to the last point that you you made just now what we know what's happening in the world today is actually an increasing you know effort uh, on the far right to introduce legislations uh, attempting to ban abortion rights and in 2019 in the united states we have seen a, a multiple uh, number of cases actually along this line so like how would you describe the current political atmosphere in relation to the coalition that you are working in well it is also the case for canada i would say this election season we saw abortion rights specifically have been kind of discussed as a you know whether the debate should be opened again in the next four years or 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 so so, of course, you know, the far right feeds on basically gendered 
hierarchies and sexual hierarchies. Of course, you know, women's rights or, you know, women's quote-unquote position in the social life is something that the far right attempt to redefine, you know, what women's roles are in the society and where they should be, etc. And abortion rights, of course, I mean, not just abortion rights, but reproductive rights in general, is basically a tool to kind of maintain the status quo or further increase the far right's agenda on rebuilding, basically, a society based on hierarchies, based on, you know, gender, race, sexuality and gender identity. So, you know, it is, is of course, not surprising that the far right movement uh, builds itself around, you know, well, in alliances or in coalition with the quote-unquote pro-life people. You know, they are, they are natural allies, I would say. Aicha, uh, in your manifesto, in your mm-hmm. brief, you know, uh, the definition of the principles of your group, uh, you go by the definition uh, suggested by Sister Song, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want you to elaborate a bit more on that, because uh, as far as I can see, you try to bring oppression, intersectionality, mm-hmm. and abortion rights mm-hmm. uh, t- uh, together, right? into one agenda. Mm-hmm. So can you elaborate on this a bit? Sure. Maybe I can introduce a bit the collective, the Sister Song. So Sister Song, Women of Color Reproductive Justice Collective, is a U.S.-based collective that started as a coalition, basically, across multiple marginalized identities, you know, black women, indigenous women, Arab Middle Eastern women, Latinx women, etc., and also you know queer women and and trans folks. So the sister songs basically the challenge of the whole uh, movement and whole politics of uh, reproductive justice basically is, if you ask me, is two things. One, uh, they are challenging the kind of the, let's say, whitewashing or the kind of the uh, dominance of white feminist or, you know, imperial feminist dominance of the, you know, on the field of reproductive justice. And they're trying to, you know, centralize marginalized voices, uh, you know, poor women, racialized women, trans women and queer women, because, you know, marginalized people are at the crossroads of, you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, if you, if you think about the far right, for instance, I mean, they hate reproductive justice as much as they hate, you know, queer people. And we know that, you know, that just think about, again, for instance, the case of forced sterilization. Uh, forced sterilizations throughout the world, you know, everywhere, basically, was has always been a practice of kind of fascist far right governments on marginalized women, racialized women and, you know, indigenous women in Canada, for instance. So Sister Song first, you know, tries to challenge that kind of, you know, the white feminist dominance on the uh, movement of reproductive justice. And I would say the second thing is their kind of challenge is to redefine reproductive justice, not on the base of abortion only, but bodily autonomy. You know, I I really like that, you know, they kind of centralize, for instance, you know, having children, not having children, but also, you know, like reproductive justice also includes, you know, parenting a child, you know, or parenting children that 
in a safe and sustainable community, basically. So it also centralizes, you know, Sister Song basically centralizes community building aspect uh, of reproductive justice. Mm -hmm. So we as the coalition, Kingston Coalition for Reproductive Justice, built our mandate based on that, I would say. Thanks for this, uh, like, detailed explanation. Uh, Aicha, lastly, we know, you know, on October the 6th, the coalition <laughs> organized an event, actually, a demo. I want you now to tell me about more about that demonstration. So why uh, did you mobilize on that day particularly, and mm -hmm. uh, what was the attendance like? Right. So, I mean, yes, Kingston has a, you know, quite vibrant reproductive justice uh, movement or alliance, let's say, you know, but it also unfortunately has a quite vibrant, quote-unquote, pro-life seen also unfortunately and one of the groups you know one of the pro-life groups which is which has you know which has an international base etc called for an action for october 6th again it's a national and international i guess call to have a you know prayer chain or whatever it is called in front of kgh which is the only by the way abortion clinic for uh, for folks so we, with other folks from community, you know, kind of called for this action. We supported this action. Well, I mean, it kind of sucks to say, but, you know, they were they were quite crowded and we didn't gather many people that day, I would say, as, as, especially, you know, at the beginning. But then later folks joined in. There were like students coming down from their residences, seeing the protest, etc. So that was that was pretty cool at the end. But, you know, we were we were loud and we made our scene, I would say, you know, we we made it clear that, you know, you know, reproductive justice or reproductive rights are human rights, basically. Thanks uh, for explanation. Lastly, uh, I for this coalition to grow and maybe reach out to more women let's mm -hmm. say in Kingston uh, what do you think should be done or like people who are now listening to our program mm -hmm. so what should they do to reach out to you actually to mm -hmm. connect to your uh, initiative well first of all let's say that you know uh, our Facebook group Kingston Coalition for Reproductive Justice is you know we are trying to keep it quite active to keep people informed about what's happening you know in our region and in the world in terms of reproductive justice so if they can give us a thumbs up you know that would be awesome but another thing you know that's why you know I kind of spoke a lot about Sister Song and our, our mandate. You know our approach to reproductive justice is based on coalitional politics. So you know whether it is housing, whether it is you know anti-poverty work, you know whether whether it is anti-racist work, we do you know we understand reproductive justice in alliance with other you know movements, other social justice movements. So you know this is also kind of a, let's say um, a shout out to all you know organizers, community organizers uh, in Kingston and around to say you know we are in alliance and you know we would love them as part of Kingston Coalition for Reproductive Justice. Okay, yeah. Thank you very much, Aicha, for joining us this week. Uh, Thank I you. think as Community Weekly News Program, we'll contact you again, I hope, in the near future. Uh, good luck with everything. Thanks. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for the shout-out.
During the electoral campaign in Canada, housing issue, or as mostly referred to as housing crisis, became one of the topics the electoral platforms had to address. Here and now, your weekly news program on CFRC 101.9 FM contacted the local organization in Kingston, Kataraqui Union of Tenants, QUT, to bring their concerns on the air. Kataraqui Union of Tenants draws attention to a lack of affordability for housing in Kingston. High rents, a lack of a basic or increased income for the working classes, a lack of rent controls and a lack of inclusionary zoning are seen as the major problems by the union. I'd like to finalize this week's coverage with a brief overview of the international news. After the U.S. decision to withdraw its troops from the northern Syria, a region called Rojava in Kurdish language, Turkey launched a military operation called Peace Spring against the Kurdish political economy in northeastern Syria. The operation is reported to have caused 166,000 people to be displaced, according to the U.N. news. Despite the ceasefire agreement, which was struck with the U.S. being the mediator, uh, shelling and clashes in northern Syria doesn't stop. On Queen's campus, a solidarity forum was organized by the PSAC Social Justice Committee, featuring witnesses from the ground on October 17th. From northern Syria, now we are moving to Catalonia. After Spain's top court found nine pro-separatist politicians and activists guilty of pushing the sedition and sentenced them up to 13 years in jail, massive protests broke out in Barcelona and other areas of Catalonia, which has been lasting for over a week now. After a peaceful march and general strike, there were clashes between protesters and the police. On the 18th, there were internationally organized solidarity actions in multiple cities worldwide, including London, Toronto and Montreal. The president of the region's government said in the Catalan parliament that they will return to the ballot box again on self-determination. From Catalonia, we are now moving to Chile. In Santiago, the Chilean capital, a rise in metro fares sparked widespread protests against rising cost of living and pressures. The costs of healthcare, education and public services are reported to underlie the grievances that fueled the latest protests. On October the 19th, a state of emergency has been declared in the capital. As Chilean Student Federation called for a nationwide strike for Monday, there are concerns how the state of emergency will impact the way the Chilean state will respond. Here and now, your weekly community news program on CFRC 101.9 has Natalia Santos, a Puerto Rican PhD student in the Department of Geography, in the studio. Welcome, Natalia. Hi, Janan. Natalia, as far as I know, you work on Chile, and we know that, you know, like in Chile, for some time, for a week maybe, there have been protests on the streets, and uh, this uh, state declared a state of emergency. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so you are following the news. I want to just hear your analysis of the events, actually, why they were on the street and uh, why they keep actually taking to the streets and demonstrating. Right. Um, and that's a good question because 
people have described what's happening as coming out of a hike in the prices for the metro, the transportation system of Santiago. So they were going to raise the prices to uh, by 30 pesos, Chilean pesos, which for us might not sound like a lot here in Canada, but it certainly adds up. And that's part of the issue. A lot of people are saying that that's just the tip of the iceberg, that that just shows how life is becoming more and more expensive, more and more precarious for people. And so that's why people went to the streets. However, although the, the president of the Republic, Sebastián Piñera, reverted that hike, so he said, we're going to stop, we're going to cancel the, the 30 pesos increase to the metro, people are still in the streets. And, and, and it just shows the fact that people are very angry about way many other uh, systematic issues that are not just uh, yeah. the hike in the metro. Yeah, one of them, as far as I can understand mm -hmm. from the coverage of the news mm -hmm. in the media, is about health care, right? Right, because right, uh, in, in Chile, since neoliberal politics uh, and ways of leading the economy started after the dictatorship and the coup d'etat in 1973, education was privatized, the health care was privatized. In Chile, even in the urban areas, they have water services privatized, which is very uh, uncommon in the rest of the planet. Mm -hmm. And so that makes that although they might have still like a public university and public uh, options for healthcare, the competition is it's, uh, mm -hmm. huge. People don't get good services if they do it through the state, but the problem is that if you cannot afford the private services then you basically are stuck with them and uh, that causes a lot of anger, delays in services and this is why people are angry in the streets right now. Yeah. And also, but there was uh, ridiculing the public anger by the right. side of the public officials. Right. Right. So, right. so I was reading a publication in El Desconcierto, which mm -hmm. is independent media in Chile, and I was very interested in this little aspect of the kind of like the response of a lot of ministers and the president himself, kind of the way that they mock in a way the anger of the people and it reminded me a lot of what happened in Puerto Rico in the mm -hmm. summer because this summer for those of you that are not aware mm -hmm. Puerto Ricans went to the street to demand the resignation of the governor Ricky, Ricardo Rosselló and part of it I mean there were many consolidating factors like in in the Chilean case right now was the fact that the him and a lot of his closest people were mocking the, uh, the Puerto Ricans and in the case of Chile this article make a little compilation of the ways that pirates high up in the in the in the government were for instance mocking the fact that people were angry about waiting so long in for medical services they were saying that oh it doesn't matter if you have to wait because at the end of the day if you arrive early you can talk to people and like mm -hmm. socialize and they were also saying like well it maybe if the prices of the metro are rising at least the prices for flowers because you can mm -hmm. buy flowers next to the metros in Santiago mm -hmm. are dropping so just buy flowers mm -hmm. you know and yeah. and people felt that that mockery, especially when you're living such a precarious life, when the, you know, life costs are becoming more and more expensive, when you have such long working days, because in Chile you have uh, 45 hour working week, which is, you know, way, way more than here, and people don't see that translated into mm. better pace and better lives, yeah. people are angry, and then you have the, the leadership mocking them yeah. this is this is uh, what we're seeing Natalia maybe we can close up the conversation 
we are having now with the final question about the state of emergency. You very briefly touched upon the military history, right, the Pinochet period in Chile. When the state of emergency was declared, there was a kind of quick parallel drawn between the two historical periods. So from the state oppression and the military period back then, what similarities can we draw? Uh, what kind of political or like interpretation should be made yeah um, yeah I think that's very important uh, in a country like Chile that went through almost 20 years of dictatorship that was brutal the cost of life was brutal mm -hmm. the amount of human right violations was brutal I think uh, a state of emergency like the one that was declared during the weekend the curfews that were also declared and are uh, mm -hmm. potentially extending today too, bring a lot of fear bring a lot of PTSD if you wish a lot of people are you know reminiscing of, of that horrendous era that they lived through or their parents lived through so yeah they they declare states of emergency that means that the military is now in charge justified by law uh, of the areas that have a state of emergency including Santiago the, the central comuna of Santiago and uh, that also includes the curfew in this case that means that mm -hmm. after yesterday was at 7 uh, p.m. people couldn't be in the street anymore and if there were congregating then it, that kind of gives the justification for the pol the military to come in they estimate that 1,500 people have been detained a lot of people are reporting cases of abuses and it cannot escape to us kind of you know mm -hmm. what that might bring bra bring back in a country like Chile mm -hmm. and so a lot of people I remember when the commemoration of the coup which is 11 of September because uh, the coup was 11 September 1973 happened this year a lot of people were very angry mm -hmm. because the government was not participating from this commemoration mm -hmm. so what happens when you don't commemorate and this is a right-wing uh, government mm -hmm. you don't participate in the commemoration and then you send your military into the street you know mm -hmm. it, it, it really seems like I don't know I don't want to say Chile is going back to this era I hope mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. we really hope not because human rights are really at stake mm -hmm. here but we hope that we have learned something from history History. We really hope that the president listens to the people and, and, and gets the military out of the street because that's mm -hmm. the condition that a lot of leaders and even senators are putting out and mm -hmm. saying, if you want to talk to us, if you want us to stop, you need to take the military mm -hmm. out of the streets. Thanks a lot for, for the commentary you provided for Thank our you. program, Natalia. Thanks a lot again. Thank yeah. you, Janan. Mm -hmm. The last piece of international news is from Lebanon. A nationwide wave of protests has been shaking the government, the largest of which was on October the 20th, uh, where hundreds of thousands of people participated. Lebanese people express anger at the way the country's economic crisis is being handled by its government. They demand an end to economic woes and government corruption. The protests first developed in response to a proposed tax on WhatsApp calls and messaging services. In the capital Beirut, northern city Tripoli and southern port Tire, people chanted the familiar slogan from the Arab Spring, the people demand the fall of the regime. just heard weekly updates from Kingston communities. Stay tuned on CFRC 101.9 FM, your campus radio, to hear and know inclusive news from a diverse community.